my hypothesis is that uh, um, because the activity changes, no, and the pan the pigs that were restricted, they seem to be moving much more than the pigs that were not fed restricted. A whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium giving young animals a healthy start. Our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada, Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Ontario, and Demeter Quebec. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of the Swine Night Canada podcast. My name is Dan Columbus, and I am going to be your host for today's episode. And with me today, I have Dr. Elda Dervishi, who is a research project manager at the University of Alberta. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to today's uh, topic. Um, but before we get into the all, all things behavior and feed restriction and, and everything, uh, just because some people might not be aware of who you are and what you do, I'll just ask to maybe give a little bit of history on yourself and your journey so far. Sure. I, um, I moved to Canada in 2011 in Edmonton. So I did my, uh, I was born and raised in Albania in Tirana, and then uh, I did my undergraduate studies at the Agriculture University of Tirana. And from there, I, I continued with my career doing my master and my PhD in Spain. There is where I worked with uh, small ruminants in nutrigenomics. And then in 2011, I moved in Edmonton uh, as a postdoc fellow. And I moved in here for one year, and I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> and during this time, I've been involved in many research projects uh, involving different livestock species like cows, uh, pigs, uh, uh, dairy, cows, and beef as well. Working with nature and not against it, piglets fed AX3 see significant and improved feed efficiency. Producers know the reality of needing to reduce antibiotic and zinc use. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible novel protein that promotes improved in barn performance, piglet health, and minimizes the need for zinc in the diet. For more information, visit www.protecta.com. That's www.protecta.com. Uh, so, uh, well, well-rounded experience, you know, we don't get many people that have done that many species. I say even lived that many places. <laughs> so it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's been great so far. Actually working in different species, give you, um, an enriched experience and you can learn from one to the other and apply different approaches 
Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely, it's one of the things that I tell my students all the time to make sure that they talk to other students and people that are not necessarily working with pigs because you can learn a lot from what they're doing as well and, and apply it. I think too often we get stuck in our species, right? And right. Yes. Think that that's the way that's it's going to be. Um, but because this is the Swine It podcast, we are going to talk about pigs today. And I know you've mentioned that you've been doing work uh, with feed restriction in pigs and what uh, effects that has on multiple aspects. So I will turn the floor over to you and you can uh, start <laughs> letting the audience know what, what you've been doing and what you found. Yeah, thanks again for this opportunity, Dan. It's great to share our experience and our uh, results with the audience that is interested in swine. And um Specifically, this project, one of uh, our projects, uh, explored the effect of feed restriction on uh, the behavior, some aspects of behavior in finisher pigs. And uh, the main topic here was uh, investigate the relationship between a low feed restriction uh, and the tail biting and some other damaging behaviors like uh, skin lesions. Um, so in this project, uh, what we did was um, apply a low level of uh, feed restriction, 20% of uh, feed restriction in pigs entering the finisher stage. And this uh, feed restriction level was applied for three weeks during three weeks um, at age uh, 9, 10, and 11 of weeks of age. And um, yeah, so we had uh, roughly 132 pigs in, in this experiment, and the experiment lasted from week eight of life till week 20 of life. And what we observed uh, there was that uh, the feed restriction, this level of feed restriction uh, overall didn't impact the uh, number of the skin lesions overall. So, but we observed that with the time going by, the number of the skin lesion would increase and uh, the interesting finding was that we found an interaction between the diet, the restriction, and the number of skin lesions in females. So what we observed is that females that were restricted, feed restricted, they have more skin lesions compared to the males uh, during those three weeks of feed restriction. Um, also, an interesting finding was that uh, female, independently from the feed restriction, females compared to males, they were having lower serotonin levels compared to the males. So it was an, an interesting finding. A main objective of this project was... Um, developing uh, strategies to reduce the incidence of the tail biting. Um, so what we know that tail biting is a, is a problem uh, in, in pigs because it, it causes damages and 
also um, it increases some costs, no, if it is severe. Mm -hmm. So in our study, what we found is that this uh, level of food restriction actually reduced the incidence of the tail biting. So when I say the incidence of tail biting, I mean that we observed uh, each video recording and we counted, uh, we observed each pig and we counted how many times a pig performed uh, the tail biting behavior and how many times a pig received the tail biting behavior. So we wanted to see and investigate the association between the feed restriction and the tail, the number of tail biting performed. And uh, yeah, to our surprise, because our hypothesis actually was that the, t the restriction is gonna increase the number of the tail biting. However, what we found was that it decreases this level of the 20%, no? It decreases mm -hmm. the, the number of the tail biting. And um, yeah, so this was a, a surprise. However, we also observed um, a small difference in the weight of the animals. And we know that weight is a very important trait uh, and the average daily gain, they are important traits uh, for the industry, no? Basically, that's what they get paid for. So um, this project actually opens the door for other ideas, no? So maybe uh, in the future, we could explore levels of feed restriction that they effectively reduce the number of the tail biting performed and um, maintains the growth. For example, um, study or explore the effect of a 15% or 10% of food restriction and um, see if there is, if we get those, both of those benefits, no? Yeah, I was going to ask about the, how the performance was affected by the restriction, because obviously yeah. less feed is going to mean uh, a restriction. So, um I guess the, the other thing is, is, you know, pigs are, are generally fed pretty close to the requirements as it is, you know. So do you think that there's going to be any kind of level of restriction that is going to be, um, I guess, not have a, a negative effect on their performance? Or are you looking at maybe uh, like it's a trade-off that you have a slight drop in performance, but the benefits of not having the tail biters, uh, it, you know, kind of provides an economic benefit? Yeah. Um, so the idea is to find um, to find a level of restriction that is that that is optimal. No, that it's not going to affect the ADG, the average daily gain or the weight, the final weight, and it's going to reduce um, the incidence of these behaviors. So um, we usually think it's a trade-off. And sometimes, quite often, it is a trade-off, but not necessarily. It's just a matter of uh, keep uh, researching and investigating until we find that level that is beneficial for um, a wide variety of traits. No, because in this mm -hmm. in this research, what we did, we focused mostly on the 
tail biting, skin lesions, focusing mostly on the welfare side of it. And we also checked the production of it. However, we didn't perform, we didn't follow up with, uh, for example, carcass trait. No, that would be very uh, interesting to see that. Um, what we saw in our research is that, yes, the ADG of restricted animals, it goes down for those three weeks. However, uh, after that, we see a compensatory response. No, so the pigs that were fed restricted, feed restricted, they, uh, they catch that in terms of the ADG, no? And at some point, they even surpass the full diet. The question is, if these pigs that uh, catch that, the feed-restricted pigs, how does that translate to carcass trait? Are they depositing more fat? Are they depositing more muscle? So we don't know that. Yeah, it would be, interest- it would be interesting to see because maybe where your restriction is happening is where... Um, restriction has been shown to be beneficial for compensatory gain, uh, right? And there are periods where restriction the pigs won't won't recover from. So it'll be right. interesting to to, to see uh, what you find when you start looking uh, at this further. Um, I think, like you said, the the interesting finding though was that the restriction caused a reduction in the tail biting, which. I mean, yeah, in my head, it's like, well, if they're hungrier, you think that they're going to be looking for something to go on. So what is, is there a hypothesis yes. or, or what you think, like why you saw the opposite of what you kind of uh, uh, expected? Yeah. Um, in many studies has been reported uh, the contrary, what we found, no, especially in females, um, restrict, fed restricted females, but it has been a bit more restrictive. No, the level has been higher. They, they, uh, they've seen that, um, when the females are fed restricted, they see more, um, vulva biting, no behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we did in the finisher pigs, we found the contrary, no. And, um, so, Beside the, uh, beside the tail biting behavior, we did uh, investigate it, um, many other activities, pigs activities, no? So what, uh, the pen uh, virtually was divided in several area and, and we, um, we um, studied the frequency of uh, the visits no? in different area of uh, the pen, how much time they spent in different areas of the pain, how uh, how long they were active and inactive, and so on. So what we found was that the pigs that were uh, restricted, they were more active, okay? And this activity also, it is different from the morning and from the afternoon. What we find is that the pigs are more active in the afternoon compared to the AM hours. And um, so they spend more time being active and moving in different areas of the pen. For example, what we observed was quite interesting that the pigs will spend a lot of time close to the feeding areas, no, to the, uh, where the feeding areas are located. So they'll move around there. And also when, um, the pigs were feed restricted. They also go and visit more, uh, more the the feeding areas. 
or water areas as well. So my hypothesis is that uh, um, because the activity changes, no, and the pan the peaks that were restricted, they seem to be moving much more than the pigs um, that were not fed restricted. And from my for from our observation, it, um, the explanation is that because they're moving so much around the pen, so they're not uh, they're not interacting with each other. No, so tail biting usually happens uh, when the pigs are laying down; they are mm -hmm. um, quiet, and then they start chewing each other's uh, tail. No, and this is my explanation right now. It's because they are so active and moving, maybe looking for motivation <laughs> for the feed. So they spend less time interacting with each other. No. So this might be an explanation for this level of food restriction decreasing the tail biting. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like they're too busy looking for food to yes. worry about their, yes. their pen mates, right? Like, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. Um, I know you said earlier that you like you videoed and you watched the interactions and that, which I don't envy uh, behavior scientists at all when I see them <laughs> watching videos, hours and hours of video interactions. And so did you just look at, you know, if if a tail was bitten and if somebody was biting or did you look at like which pig was doing the biting and which one was getting bitten? And was there any kind of like correlation or findings along those lines? So, yeah, we did those uh, observations um, and we did uh, do it at the, at the animal level, no? So we knew who was biting, which pig was biting, uh, yeah. who, no? And who, <laughs> which pig was receiving because the pigs were identified. Um, so, yeah, um, there, <laughs> it was interesting to to find that, um, especially with the morning and the afternoon recordings, we saw such a difference, no? So in their activity and a pig that was biting in the morning wasn't necessarily biting in the afternoon always, no? So the classification would change. The behavior is such a dynamic trait, no? So. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not a static <laughs> variable. So, yeah, we found that um, the, the pigs that perform the tail biting in the morning not necessarily are biters or performing tail biting in the afternoon. Yeah. Hmm. Too bad, not you can't just take out the problem pig and then <laughs> get rid another, of it. But. Yeah, another idea of this project was can we find so the pigs were recorded for nine weeks, once a week. And the idea, the other idea was, can we find a behavior pattern that is in common uh, for the pigs that perform tail biting or those that don't perform, but they receive, no? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we didn't find a, a pattern that will distinguish all of them. But what we found is that at certain weeks, for example, um, at week 16, 18, and 20 of life, 
we observe that tail biters, those pigs that will perform the tail biting, independently when, in the morning or in the afternoon, they would visit more the water area. So that was an, an interesting finding, uh, that uh, these pigs, they kind of prefer going to a certain water area. And not both of them, because a pen is equipped with two different uh, water areas and feeder areas, but the tail biters, they preferred going to a, a, a water source. <laughs> so, yeah, that was interesting too. So maybe it's related to water availability and not feed. <laughs> so, yeah, it might be. It might be. So um, you, you mentioned, you know, looking at like level of restriction. Are there other uh, concepts that you're looking or planning to look at when it comes to, to tail biting that could potentially be a... Uh, a, a fix for this problem? Oh, there are so many. So, yeah, that's a good question. Very often we focus only on one aspect of it, um, but we have to keep in mind that this behavior, it is affected by many, many uh, factors. It's a multifaceted behavior, no? So to start with, nutrition is one of those, no? Or mm -hmm. And, and we tackled this aspect, but also we have to keep in mind, for example, we can reduce the tail biting by using enrichment, no? Um, it has been yeah. already studied and reported that providing enrichment for pigs, it's beneficial no? it, for many aspects. Um, it has to, however, not all the enrichments are going to, um, to reduce the tail biting, no? Uh, the other aspect of reducing tail biting, of course, is the density of the animals, no? How many pigs we're putting in a pen? Are they overcrowded? Obviously, if there is, if the pen is overcrowded, it's going to affect. Another aspect is the regime, the light regime, no? How much light you're providing to the pigs and how much uh, darkness are you providing to the pigs? So those are some, just few uh, of those other aspects that can uh, affect uh, these the behavior. Yeah, lot lots of different things that you know yes. that people have looked at. It's 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 one of those problems that probably never be solved, but hopefully yeah. we can we can yeah. reduce it with with some aspects. Yeah, so be interesting. You know, when when you when you've done some of the other work, we'll have to have you back on uh, to <laughs> to yeah, discuss some sure. of those findings too. Uh, so I guess change, changing gears a little bit because you know I know there's a, another topic that you you work on that I think might be interesting and uh, that is your work with uh, metabolomics and pig resilience, right? So let's maybe, maybe spend the next uh, last third of the podcast we'll talk about uh, talk about that. So what what have you been doing in that area? Oh right, yeah, that's. Um... That's another area that uh, our group, uh, um, Livestock Gentech, has been working, at, uh, looking at the pig resilience and combining this with uh, the omics technology. Um, so there is an interest of having resilience pigs, no, from uh, the the industry, the entire industry. So we want we want to have those pigs that even when they are uh, challenged by disease, 
know, they are able to recover pretty quick. So um, this, uh, in particular, this project was a, a huge project in collaboration with many institutions, many few countries, uh, mainly Canada and U.S. And um, yeah, so our uh, I was mostly focused on the metabolomics part of it. So we were interested in finding if we were able to find um, metabolites or markers that could be indicators of uh, the peak resilience. No, and uh, in this in this project, what we did was estimating different genetic parameters of um, of metabolites in in pigs and estimate genetic correlations uh, between metabolites and different health traits or production traits and we found those results are published already we have found many uh, interesting results in the metabolomics part um, I would overall, I would say that there's no uh, magic or uh, oh, no. <laughs> a silver bullet. No, say, oh, do this and you're going to have a resilient uh, pig, no? Or select for this and the pig's going to be resilient. So, no, we didn't find that, but we did find many uh, interesting results which can be applicable, um, especially on the selection part of it. Um, uh, if I remember well, properly, one of the interesting findings that we had uh, was the genetic correlation between uh, isobutyric acid and the residual feed intake. It was one of those um, interesting results that we found. Um, yeah, also we found many metabolites to be heritable. Uh, these molecules, they are heritable. And the highest, the highest uh, heritability was found uh, in glutamic acid. So this amino acid is highly heritable uh, in pigs. And also different genetic correlations between metabolites and, and uh, blood cells in pigs, which might uh, give us an idea how these molecules, small molecules or metabolites, they are affecting, um, genetically affecting the composition of blood traits. So, uh, yeah, this was another project that I was involved in. And yeah, for anybody interested in, in uh, our work or they can find the, the articles that are already published or send me an email. I'll be happy. <laughs> it's interesting. I guess it should be so unexpected that some metabolites might be uh, heritable because they are going to be related to metabolism and probably right. efficiency of, yeah. of utilization. I think the personally, I think the glutamic acid one is very interesting because that suggests to me that when it comes to protein efficiency, that there's something going on there. And maybe we could pick that up with with that because it is a major nitrogen shuttler uh, across, right. uh, around right. the, uh, around the body. Right. So mm -hmm. um, I guess when it, when it comes to that, the, the question that kind of came to mind when uh, you're talking about, you're relating this to resiliency. And I think depending on who you ask, resilience is going to be different, how right. they define it. So I guess right. 
how, how would you define it or how was it defined for the purposes of this project? Right. Um, for, for the purpose of this project, what we did, we have a big number of pigs, like almost 4,000 pigs in the experiment. Um, so how it was defined was the pigs were considered resilience, those pigs that had the best or the higher growth rate and the lower treatment rate. So all these phenotypes, all mm. this data, ma- massive data, massive work done by the research team, collecting uh, all this information, and then at the end, ask the researchers, we got the, the data, um, and then we classified the pigs in different groups, resilient, susceptible, and also we considered those animals that died before uh, the end uh, mm-hmm. of the experiment. And uh, those that had lower treatment and highest growth rate than th- those uh, pigs, they were resilient. So that's how we did the classification. And that, and that would just be then under typical commercial conditions. Right. Who, right. Who, who's performing. Yeah. That was the idea. We didn't yeah. want to, we, we, what we wanted was to test uh these pigs under commercial um, real life scenario, no? And um, this was a polymicrobial challenge, which means that we didn't introduce any pathogen artificially, no? We just introduced sick pigs. And this is a common scenario in mm. every farm, no? Pigs interact with each other. Some are sick. The others become sick. And then some get treated more, some get treated less. Some recover very quickly their growth or some they don't. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like you said, this is what we, I, I think this is where the science is going, especially when we're talking about reducing antibiotic usage and stuff like that is like, well, how do we... How do we breed more robust and resilient pigs and feed them to be more resilient, right? So I, I wish you had a few more correlations with some metabolites that we could be like, okay, yeah, I got to focus on that one. But yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah, there, um, that's right. It's, it's very important to have, um, especially the, when we do selection or the breeding, no, have a balanced breeding where we, um, balance every, aspect of uh, a pig life let's say yeah no very interesting um okay so before we get to the final three questions i hope you've you've been thinking about them uh, i'll just ask you know like if there's one or two take-home messages that you want today's listeners to to get from from the episode what what would those be yeah um right yes um what i want is um to say that um research research is worth it that's what i want to say yeah because we uh, maybe quite often we don't get what we want and we want to get to that every good research needs validation no so and that's the holy grail of that of the research validate the results so uh, i think when we do that and then we have a, a a big breakthrough, no? So I think it's worth it. Uh, keep doing the research. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's a good one. And, you know, to tie it back 
to your your feed intake uh, or restriction study, right? If we had just continued to go with the belief that lower feed is going to cause increase in uh, tail biting, you'd never have found that out, right? So it's one yeah. of those things that we, we to to avoid even getting stuck in the trap of like, well, we know that, you know, so why would we test that, right? It's always good to go in and uh, to to do the research anyway. And sometimes you're surprised. And I think those studies are the ones that are the most interesting. They might be the harder ones to write up. I know. And, yeah, but, but, <laughs> I know. You know. It rejected my hypothesis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Like, yeah, science doesn't like those studies. But, you know, those are the that's why we do yeah. it is, you know, we're not always going to be right. So. Right. OK. <laughs> it's time for our famous three. So I think we'll, that'll bring us to the end of the the topic part of it. So I'm going to ask uh, the same three questions that we ask all our hosts or our guests on here. Uh, the first one is what would be your uh, favorite go-to, uh, I'll do swine related, or you can do agriculture related or science related uh, uh, resource or book. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't prepared actually for these questions. There are so many books that I've read and I, I hardly, I, it's, it's challenging to, to pick one, no? But as a, as a researcher, I always go back to the research book, no, to the physiology books. I love physiology books because they help me understand. And, and despite that I'm at this point, I always go to the physiology book. <laughs> yeah there's no wrong answer right it's what 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 do you what do you go to all the time you know and, and so it's yeah um so the next one maybe this one will be a little bit easier is what would be a favorite book or something that you would recommend you know that you've you've either read recently or in the past that you know you'd read over and over again if you could oh okay this is easier then because <laughs> <laughs> just recently i i read a book which was kind of interesting to read and it's called good life uh, if i'm not mistaken and um this is one of those books that make you think that um the relationships that we build with each other they're really important and this was based, this book was based on a Harvard study that was, and it's still going. It's like more than 80 years of following people. It's a research and uh, uh, they follow people's life, adult life. And uh, the one and only good uh, predictor of a good, of a good health when you get old, it's good relationships. And 80 years to back that up. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and still going, they're tracking generations. Yeah. The kids, <laughs> the nephews, the grandkids. Yeah. It was a, wow. interesting. Yeah. It's, it's the truth, uh, but it's, it's shocking to, to hear it, to read it. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I think part of it is you can't, you, it, you're thinking, well, it can't be that easy. <laughs> I, I guess it's not easy, right? The relationships are not are not difficult, but it's like you know yeah. you're expecting something not as sim as simple as that. I guess. I, yeah, I exactly. But, yeah, <laughs> all this sophisticated uh, research, and then you get to something so simple. Just, yeah, <laughs> good relationship, good friendships, good uh, huh. family relationships, and yeah. Yeah. No, very interesting. The only predictor for the <laughs> health. <laughs> To look that up. Sorry, maybe this can be transferred to to the pigs. 
if we provide an environment for good relationships between pigs, maybe they'll have less health issues. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I mean, there's there's another study. I to put that grant in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so our last question is, and uh, you can either think of it from going back to successful leaders, or you know, you can even go like successful, say, swine producers specifically. You know, what would be a characteristic that you think sets those people apart from from maybe right. some less successful? That's a great question. Then uh, I I've been so fortunate to work with uh, my mentor, Dr. Graham Plasto. It's a professor at the U of A. I've been so lucky to work him and he's been an example of, uh, for me to follow, uh, not only the professional part, also as a person. Um, so I think what, uh, what a good leader is, is they lead by example. And that was the example that I got all during all my career at U of A having somebody to lead by example and not talking too much, just uh, lead by example. So I think that's a feature that uh, characterize the good, the leaders, you know? And uh, also another feature is they give people the possibility or the opportunity to express themselves. They don't, uh, they don't put you in a box, no? So this, and also this is one of those features that uh, Dr. Plasto had too. So yeah, these are the two main. Yeah, I've definitely seen those listed before as very important for having yeah. good teams and, and, and being a good leader. Yeah, so no, that's great. Uh, okay, well, that brings us to the end of uh, another episode. So I'll thank you again for, for coming on and sharing your work with us and some of the findings uh, and hope that you, you enjoyed it and, and hopefully we'll have you on again in the future. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Of course, I did enjoy it very much. And uh, the last thing that I want to mention was uh, that and and I want to give a, a deep uh, deep appreciation for our uh, for the this project that i talked was funded by the government of alberta the research driven agriculture research so ardar and i want to thank them for uh, supporting us with this uh, project this this was without them it wouldn't have been possible yeah great it's it's always always good to acknowledge the ones that are given the money yes yes they make <laughs> they make our research possible yeah, yeah thank you then so much yeah no thank you again Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.